0: All right, we're going to get started. Hey, Pernell, you got a friend. Pernell the bunny's got a friend. <laughs> Justin, you just attract it. You just attract those bunnies. It's everywhere. But I want you to know something. No bunny loves you like Jesus. So it's an important thing to know. In case you're wondering, this, this uh, banner over here is like, uh, if you want to take some selfies with it, so there's a bunny like pointing up like that. And so if you want to that, the whole idea behind that is if all of you selfie, selfie people, you need to take a selfie, uh, there's a little selfie station for you and you can take one or get somebody to take a picture of you with, you know, that's not Purnell. That's, 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 um, that's techno bunny on that one there. So, uh, anyway, so it's the resurrection of Jesus and people often ask, you know, what's so important about the resurrection of Jesus? Well, as a Christian, it's everything. It's literally the cornerstone and the foundation. Of our faith and it's through the resurrection that Jesus proved that he was God he not only said he was God he said he was gonna prove it and lots of people over history have claimed to be God we even have people in our generation who think they're God still think they're God or claim to be God in some form or fashion Jesus said the difference between me and all the rest is I'm gonna prove it he makes very bold claims and here's one of them in John chapter 11 He's speaking at, uh, speaking with a family. He's speaking to a woman at this particular point named Martha, Mary and Martha. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He's making a claim here. So not only is he life, all life comes from him. So he not only possesses the power to grant life and that our life and your life, our lives were created by him and for him but that he is the one who brings life to the dead. He said, not only am I God, not only am I the one who produces and grants life, I am the one who can do something that no one else can. I can raise life back up. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, so he claims to be God, and in Romans 4, the statement is in the Bible. It says, Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God. He was declared to be who he was. The resurrection is the declaration that Jesus is who he says he is. According to the Spirit of Holiness, raised from the dead with power. According to the Spirit of Holiness, from the resurrection, from the dead. So it's the proof that Christ is who He is, who He says He is. He rose from the dead. We know He rose. If you're interested, and in you're a Gaster, if you're interested in the book, if we have any left over after the eleven thirty, you can have it. That whole book, Case for Easter, is all evidence of the resurrection. It's it's done by a guy who was an atheist. is written by a guy who, um, from his perspective, he was a a, a former investigator. An investigative journalist or something like that, uh, Lee Strobel, I mean, he's written other books. But h- the whole point was, is he investigated and wanted to find, is there historical proof that Jesus actually rose from the dead? And there's volumes of it. And so that whole book is based upon that. And there's been a lot of people attacking the resurrection from the dead, that Jesus never, ra- never, di- never actually died, or that the disciples uh, stole his body. He didn't die on the cross. Or here's my favorite. The favorite one to me is that they stole his body. Well, stealing his body is an interesting perspective. But why would you die? for that. You know what I'm saying? These, these, these disciples died brutal deaths. They died under torment and torture, right? And if you stole the body somewhere along the line, it was like, it was all a joke. It was all a joke. It did we, you know, I mean, somewhere, I mean, John was boiled in oil, huh? There's one of my favorite ones, and we all, because we all celebrate Peter, okay? Peter was crucified upside down. John was boiled in oil. I'll give you one. How about Thomas? The disciple Thomas was pulled apart with hooks, They killed the man with hooks in India. They killed him. We're going to kill you. We're not going to stone you. We're not going to beat you to death. We're going to get hooks and we're going to pull you apart. That's how the guy died. And he died testifying of Christ. So if you think that they didn't, if you don't think that they were not eyewitnesses of this, somewhere along the line, you get some people coming at you, a big tribe of people coming at you with hooks, and this is your moment. You're going to go, I was kidding. I was kidding. It's a joke, really, honestly, no, 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 I was kidding, I was kidding. <laughs> so think, that, think about that one. There's a place in India to this day that's basically the whole southern part of India is um, uh, Christian. The northern part isn't much, but not, I mean, there's still Hindus there, but there's a lot of Christians in the southern part of India, and they're there because of Thomas. That's when the region that he died. He, his death became a catalyst even to this day they're there. And so it's very known in that region that Thomas was the one that brought the gospel to India. So, and Thomas was the doubter of all. Can we agree with that? He was the one that goes, unless I see the nails and put my hand in his side, there's no way I'm going to believe. And yet it's he the one that went probably further than any of them and died at at the furthest point. He went further than all of them. So you don't think he was convinced Jesus rose. What does the resurrection bring? Everybody say the resurrection brings new hope, brings a new day. It does. Matthew 28, this is Jesus was rising from the dead. He had, it was the Sunday morning. He had told everyone, I'm going to rise. And it was early on that day, as the new day was dawning. See, the resurrection brings the new day. Mary Magdala, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary went out to see the tomb. So these are women. They were observant, what would be known in our culture as observant Jewish women. So they had to observe the Sabbath. And the Sabbath required that they not do anything on that day. So Sunday was the day following the Sabbath. Well, according to the Jewish uh, reckoning of time, the day began when the sun rose. And so it didn't begin at midnight like our time. It began when the sun was rising. And so they were still within the context. They were still in the Sabbath, so they couldn't do anything. And so you can imagine these women wanting to go and see Jesus, whom they loved, And they were waiting for that sun's first light to come up on the horizon. As soon as that light broke the horizon, they could go and they all took off. And they took off to see him. And G- they went out to see the tomb. And they found that Jesus wasn't there. One of my favorite sayings is uh, the angel goes, why do you look for the living among the dead? You know? he's sitting up on a rock. <laughs> An interesting picture of angels. I was thinking about that while we were worshiping. And the angel wasn't standing there magnanimously. He was sitting up on a rock, probably just casually, seeing her come by. He's like, what's going on, Mary? What are you looking for? I'm looking for Jesus. Where have they laid him? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's not here. He rose, just as he said. He said he would, and he did it. The, what the resurrection brings us is where there was no forgiveness, now there can be forgiveness. Where there was no hope, now we can have hope. Where there was no mercy, now there is mercy. Mercy is a very undervalued concept in our world. We, don't under, we understand mercy a little bit better maybe than some, but not so much as others. If you really want to look at this world and the way the world is, it's a merciless place. It really is. People stepping on everybody to get where they want to go brutal, aggressive, hurtful, painful, without mercy, without forgiveness, you know, just a, a really painful place. What Jesus brings us through the resurrection is he gives us an ability to receive mercy. And what is mercy? It's unearned kindness. I like kindness, anybody like kindness? And when somebody's just kind to you, right? It's just overwhelming. Jesus gives you kindness that you didn't earn. Unearned kindness, it's a love that is freely offered and freely given. He just loves you. He just gives it to you. Here, you can have it. What did I do for it? Nothing. I didn't even do anything for it. I'm going to give it to you. But you've got to receive it. That's the key to the whole program. So we're going to talk a little bit real, real briefly here this morning. I'm going to talk about when do you need God's mercy. And then the second thing is, is what happens when you receive it? So when is it that we need God's mercy? And what happens once I receive God's mercy? We need God mercy, God's mercy when we mess up. Can we agree with that? And we all mess up, okay? I love this statement. Everybody else knows you're not perfect, so you may as well admit it, right? Everybody already knows the truth. You're messed up. You're screwed up. You don't do it right. Nobody does, so stop acting like you do. We need God's mercy when we mess up, and the reason we need God's mercy when we mess up is that nobody meets God's standard. No one is up to the standard that God has set. We have, we have fallen that's the idea of sin. Mankind has fallen. Where have we fallen? Beneath the standard of God's acceptance. And Jesus came to meet the standard of God's acceptance. And it's through him that we become accepted. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody is short of it. Say, so I'm going to get into heaven on my own works. Keep telling yourself that. When I stand before God, oh, I'm going to tell him all kinds of wonderful things. Well, let's do an experiment before you that we get there. And let's go down to, oh, let's go down to South Point Park, right? And let's get you to attempt to jump to the Bahamas. That's about how hard it is to, to enter heaven on your own works. You can't do it. So we can go down to South Point Park. We can all line up and we can all cheer you on. You can do it. You're gonna make it. You can do it. You can you can you can actually go all the way down the fifth street, right? Get a running start. Get up as big ahead of steam as you can. We'll open up the pier for you. You can run off the pier and you can leap as far as you can. But if you don't make it to the Bahamas, you don't get in. That's what it looks like for a person to try to get into heaven on their own works. There is absolutely, it is impossible. Human effort is not good enough. We need someone who can do it for us. That's the whole point of Jesus. James says this, we all stumble, all have sinned and fallen short, and we all stumble in many ways. We all got issues, okay? Every one of us. Your issues are not my issues, and my issues are not your issues. Thank you, Jesus, okay? I got enough problems of my own. I got enough issues of my own, you know? But God gives us mercy when we mess up. We mess up. Bible tells us this is mercy's new every morning. There's the mercy of forgiveness and acceptance through Christ. And then there's the repetitive mercy as a believer. It's an unending well of mercy, unending well of mercy. It's not OK. You get receive Christ and now you're expected to be perfect. It's not going to happen. You receive Christ and now you walk in his mercy. You walk in his grace. You walk in his forgiveness. In John chapter eight, this is a story of, a, of someone who needed mercy it gives us a show of what the world actually looks like, and then it portrays God as who he really is. The story going on here in John chapter 8 is they're taking a woman who was found in adultery. They didn't bring the guy. Okay, just shows you how they valued women in that culture. They didn't bring the man. They just took the woman and they threw him down at Jesus' feet and said she was caught in adultery. The law says she dies. What do you say? They wanted to catch him. They wanted to trick him. Okay? They wanted him to say something that was either against the word of God or say something that was offensive to the people. And so Jesus is like, oh, we're going to talk about the law, are we? We're going to go there? Let's go there. So he just sat down on the ground and he started writing, drawing pictures in the dirt. He's actually writing names, Jeremiah 17. If you're interested, it says, all who depart from the Lord shall be written in the earth. Their names shall be written in the earth. So what was he writing? The Bible tells us what he was writing. He was writing their names, Bill, Mary, one, you know, he's writing them all down in, in the earth. And he looks up at him and he goes, anybody here without sin, pick up a rock and do it. If any of you here want to think that you're better than her, or if anybody here thinks that you've done something that, that is not on the equivalent basis of what she's done, there's a pile of rocks, pick up and go at it. Anybody? Anybody at all? I not only know your name, I know what you did, I know why you did it. Anybody here want to feel like they got it figured out, then go right ahead. And they dropped the rocks, and they began to walk away from the oldest first. And why did the elders leave? Because they knew, oh, my gosh, I got a lot of stuff, man. I've been, I've been sinning for a long time. I, got, I, got, I better leave while I got a chance. <laughs> and Jesus looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And then he said, if no one condemns you, then neither do I. Because the religious leaders had portrayed God as a harsh an aggressive God. They had portrayed him as a God who you had to basically uh, just really uh, put forth an incredible effort and that there was an acceptance always upon your effort. And so they had portrayed this God to the people that was not loving. They had portrayed a God to the people who was not gracious and kind. And Jesus was portraying the heart of the Father, which is love and grace and mercy for all who will receive it. And they couldn't stand it because it was threatening their way of life. So they tried to, chept, tried to get him caught in this idea. And so here you see the world. You're not good enough, right? We're better than you. Self-righteousness. I shared it in first service. I'll share it again. I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't know this guy. It's long gone. I had a guy one time tell me, I haven't sinned in six years, Kevin. Six years. It's been six years I haven't sinned. He told me that right to my face. I was like, come again? <laughs> I go, could you tell me that one more time? Because I know I'm going to repeat this story for the rest of my life. And he just said, no, I haven't sin. I haven't sin. Like, never sin. I, I, I told him, I said, well, I guess self-righteousness and pride doesn't, doesn't count, you know, in your world. But, you know, sin comes from within our hearts, the Bible says. It's not the externals. The externals, the external things that we do aren't, are not, make, well, it's not what makes us right and not what makes us wrong. It's the heart that makes us right and the heart that makes us wrong, even in God's economy. You know, being born into a Christian family doesn't make you saved. You have to give your heart yourself. It's The position of your heart and the condition of your heart is what determines your place in the kingdom or your lack of place within the kingdom. It's not, you know, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The Bible says you can do all the externals you want, and the externals are important, but if the heart isn't correct, then it doesn't matter. It's all about the heart, the condition of the heart and its position to the Lord. So he says, neither do I condemn you. And the beauty of the story is is that God protects her dignity. They all wanted to publicly shame her, publicly shame her. And Jesus didn't even address the woman until the crowd was dealt with. It's like, I'm not going to blast this lady. I'm not going to profane her because she sinned and she's all this stuff. I'm not going to play your game. I'm going to put her over here. I'm going to protect her dignity. And I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to deal with your attitude. I'm going to deal with your heart. I'm going to deal with the very reasons why you're bringing this forward. You're trying to pretend you're somebody that you're not. And so he protects her dignity. And then at the end, he calls her to a new life. And this is exactly what Jesus does, right? Let's say this together. Jesus, Jesus. come on, Jesus, Jesus. will accept me just just like I am. Okay? But he loves me too much to leave me the same. He will receive you just as you are. But he loves you. Too much to leave you the same. He accepted this woman just as she was. But he told her, leave what you've been doing. It's time to change. Metamorphose, change, transist, transform. And so he he accepted her where she was at, and she was in a really bad place. And he said, look, I take you where you are, but I want you to come here. I want you to follow me. I want you to go to another level. That's exactly what God does. Jesus says, I have not come to the world to, 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 I've come into the world to save it, not to judge it. There'll be a day of judgment, you know. There's no, it's no, um, What do they call it, universal grace? There's a universal grace on the world, but you have to appropriate it. Sin's been paid for. You have an invitation to a wedding feast. You have an invitation to the greatest party the universe is ever gonna know. But you have to RSVP. If you don't RSVP, your name's not gonna be on the list. I'm sorry to tell you that. You gotta RSVP, you gotta respond to the invitation. Jesus has invited you, but you must respond. Lord, you are good and kind. Let's just say it together. This is Psalm 86. Oh, Lord, say it with me. Oh, Lord, you are so good and kind. He is ready to forgive, full of mercy for all who ask him. See that? This is what's called the all promises are predicated. This is a predicated promise, a conditional promise. He will give mercy. He will give goodness. He will give kindness. He will give mercy. He will give give all of them. But what's the condition? That you ask. Understand? The The promise is there. God will grant mercy. God will grant forgiveness. God will grant kindness based upon your willingness to ask. Humility of the heart. We have to ask. We have not because we ask not. God's mercy and forgiveness and all that stuff is there. But you have to appropriate it by asking. You have to draw on it by asking mercy triumphs over judgment It is God's heart to forgive far more that it's far more important to him to bring forgiveness It's far more important to him to bring mercy than it is to call you into account for your life Jesus was not intending he didn't want to call this woman into an account for her life he would if he had to if she put her in, put, him, put him if she put him in that place because she was unwilling to accept his grace when we don't accept God's grace we put him in a position where he has no other choice but to call us into account for our lives but that is not the first place that he wants to go the first place that Jesus wants to go is not into calling you into an account. He will call you into account only if you reject his mercy and you reject his forgiveness. His mercy triumphs over judgment. His mercy is an expression of love. Mercy is the Greek word charis. Is what you don't deserve. It's love freely given. It's actually love in motion. Next slide, please. So we need mercy when we mess up. We need mercy when we're not adequate. Here comes a shocker. You're not good enough. Oh, oh. I'm not. No, you're not good enough. You don't come from a good enough family. You don't have enough education. There's, there's no ability that you possess that is going to give you the ability to do the things that God would have you to do or be the person he would have you to be. We need Jesus' mercy when we're not adequate and we're all inadequate. OK, this is freedom right here. Accept your inadequacy. But I can do things really well. Yes, I know that. I'm aware of that, but how many things could you do way better if they were connected to the gospel, they were connected to the power of the spirit, whatever you would even think that you did well would go up infinitely more simply that way, but you're not good enough, nobody is, and as soon as you come to that place where you understand, I'm not good enough, Bible says his strength is perfected in your weakness, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it, but if you turn your smarts, and you turn your abilities, even what you can do over to him, it'll go up guaranteed. He's a maximizer. So here's a man who's lying at the pool called Bethesda. And what's going on here is like a place of encounter. So the angel of the Lord would come down and touch the water. An angel of virtue or healing would touch the water and the pool would move and the water would move. And as soon as the water moved, whoever got in the water first, (laughs) that would have been a scene. I'm just going to tell you, whoever got in the water first got healed. So there's a whole pool of people hanging out in all these portic porticles. There's five porticles. Five's the number of grace. So you got all these port all these porches, five porches around this pool, grace around the pool. And as soon as the angel touched the water, it was like, come one, come all into the pool. Right. And so that would be a pretty rowdy scene. People would be shoving each other, stepping on people, kicking the crutch out, diving in the pool before that guy gets there before you do. Right. And so Jesus comes to the pool and he finds a man who's been there 38 years. 38 years, and he says, do you want to get well? And here's the big thing. Why did Jesus ask a guy who's laying there, lame for 38 years, do you want to get well? Why do you ask him that? Because not everybody wants to get well. That's the truth. Not everybody wants to get well. And it's just true. Not everybody wants to be healed. Not everybody wants to be saved. It's just, it just is. Because what happens with, with healing and what happens with restoration and forgiveness Say it with me. Restoration Restoration requires requires change. change. People don't want to change. They just don't because their condition is predictable. I've been this way my whole life. I know what it means to do whatever it is I'm doing that's destroying me. I don't know what's going to happen if I give my life to Christ. That becomes unpredictable. Can you give me any guarantees of what my life will be like when I come to Christ? No, I can't. Other than forgiveness, hope restoration, new beginning. You're walking into the mystery, right? Greek word mysterion. You're going, you're following Christ into a mysterion, into a mystery. And people don't want to change. So we ask this guy, he's like, look, look you've been here 38 years. Have you had enough? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Well, I don't know, you know. And so how does, the guy reco- how does the guy answer? He answers with excuses. You see, I got nobody to get me into the water. You see, while I'm trying to get there, somebody gets in there before I do. So, you know, I got all these excuses as to why I can't get there. And Jesus says, enough with your excuses, get up. So what he says to all of us, the gospel's come, the kingdom's come, Jesus is here. Enough with your excuses. Well, I got a few more things I want to do. I got some other things I want to do. I got some other areas, you know, I don't know. I got, I I don't know. I don't don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Aren't there a lot of gods? Aren't there many gods, you know? I mean I mean in America we don't worship gods do we Mercedes Benz in America we don't worship gods go Dolphins in America we don't have these idols Rolex watches we don't we don't we don't have those things at all do we we don't we don't worship any idols cuz we're too intellectually there we worship sometimes our intellect that's the worst idolatry of all the worst idolatry of all is the intellectual is the worship of the mind intellectual idolatry actually it blinds you Professing yourself to be wise, you become a fool. That's what the Bible says. That's called intellectual idolatry. That's a curse upon our land. We, we get so smart, we believe there is no God. And in fact, we think we're so smart, the Bible says you actually become stupid. You couldn't be more stupid. But I've got PhDs, you know, MMBs, I've got it all on the wall, Kevin. And you see, this is what all of my teaching has taught me. Well, your teaching has taught you to be a fool in the economy of heaven. You're esteemed of men, but you're despised of God because you deny him. Oh. Just saying. My name's Kevin, and I'm your friend. <laughs> I'm available after the service for anybody who wants to lay fists on me. That's okay. <laughs> this woman had messed up, but this guy's about to miss out. So you've got a woman who, missed, who messes up. She needs mercy. And here's a guy who's about to miss out. Mercy's in the room and he's making all the excuses in the world. And Jesus is like, I don't want to hear excuses. I want you to stand up. He doesn't want to hear excuses why you can't give your life to him. He wants you to receive him. He doesn't want to hear you, all the excuses as to why you think you're better or you think you know more. He doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't have time for it. What will happen is, is if, you don't, if you let him pass, he will pass you by. And you don't know when he's going to come back around. The Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with man. What's it mean? You're not guaranteed to hear the gospel a second time. You're not guaranteed to hear it a third time. We take it for granted. But there's no guarantees. There's no guarantee you don't get hit by a bus leaving this place. I pray you don't. Nobody knows the hour of their death. And at the moment of death is when all the reality sets in. When you come to Christ, you you receive the power of the gospel. You receive a power and an ability of forgiveness, of mercy, of transformation, and an ability to do things you couldn't ordinarily do. The Bible says as you come to know Jesus, as you come to follow him, and you begin to walk in him, he gives you power. He will give you, through his great power, everything you need. Christian, if you're here this morning, you have a well of resources that is available to you for your every need. You say, and here's what I get Christians do to me all the time. They go, well, where is it, Pastor? If all of that stuff's available to me, well, where is it? And I'm like, have you asked? Have you asked him for it? Have you positioned yourself to, into the arena in which it could activate? I just showed you. Mercy comes through asking. Forgiveness comes through asking. There are promises that are upon the believer that require you to do something. You say, well, it's mine. Not unless you do what the Bible says. My car should start without a key. I just don't understand why my car doesn't start without a key. Why is that? because you need a key. You can wish and will that car to start, but until you put the key, it won't start. It's the same thing with the kingdom. We have to apply the keys of the kingdom in order to activate the principles of the power that's already available to us. Next slide, please. So this guy's about to miss out. So we need need mercy for our inadequacies. We need mercy when we mess up, and we need mercy to overcome our fears. Mercy overcomes fear. It's a world of fear, it's culture of fear, right? Media empires, CNN, TBS, whatever, Fox News, MSNBC, name one, they have built empires on a culture of fear. Their whole basis of their empire is on fear. You ever watch the news? You ever feel good when you watch the news? Rarely, you're freaked out after you watch the news. Oh my gosh, did you hear what happened in a country that I can't even pronounce? I don't even know where that country is but there's something bad going on over there did you hear about it i mean it's constant fear constant well you never know in the next six months this might happen the entire industry is based upon a culture of fear people live lives of fear the culture of god's kingdom is based on faith faith if god is for me who could be against me right what can man do to me I've got whatever's gone. I have more going greater is He that is in me than He is in the world. That's the culture of the kingdom. It's about faith. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm perfectly loved. There should be no fear in me because I'm perfectly loved. God's going to take care of me regardless. That's how, that's what that's what the kingdom is based on. But the greatest fear man faces is the fear of death. Death is such a fear to us. We don't like to talk about it. Don't talk about death. I don't want. I don't, don't want to talk about death. I don't want to think about death. I don't want anything to do that. Funerals are weird to us. We get all freaked out at funerals, right? We don't like to go to funerals. Oh, we'll go and say hi to the family, or we'll go to a funeral if we got an urn, okay? If there's an urn where well, we can go to the funeral with some pictures of the person, urn, I can deal with the urn and the pictures, but just don't lay them out in a box. That's going to freak me out, man. I, I, I can't do that. I, I, just, and you know, I, I just don't do well with funerals. I just can't. I, I'm a pastor. I go to funerals all the time, and I see family members that won't even go in the room. And you know they'll say, Oh, I just want to remember him or her or them the way that they were. I don't want to see them like that. It just it just bothers me. Well, the reason it bothers you is fear that death confronts you on your own reality. The reality is one out of every one person dies, right? None of us are getting out of here alive, right? None of us. <laughs> but what we have in Christ is we have no fear in death. There is no fear in death. Fear is not the end, it is the beginning. Your Death is not the end, it's the beginning. Death is a transition from this world to the next. If you're a Christian, I want you to have good news this morning. Jesus has long-range plans for you. This isn't it. Aren't you glad? Right? We sing hallelujah. That song is like, how many of those can we do? We sing, this is not the end. This life isn't everything. There's something beyond this life. And Jesus comes to take away the fear of death. All people fear death. Not all people acknowledge their fear of death, but all people fear death. Christians shouldn't have fear. There should be no fear in death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? You've been swallowed up. The Christian to die, we just pass through the veil, go from one world to the next. We sing hallelujah. (laughs) Jesus died so that he would destroy the power of death, and he would destroy the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. Mankind was entrusted with something. Mankind was given the keys to this world. Mankind threw the keys at the devil. The devil comes in. Now he rules man where man was to be the ruler. Now Satan is the ruler. Man could not get out from the underneath the power of the oppressor. The devil was oppressing. Jesus comes. What does he do? Breaks the power of death. Breaks the power of the devil. Throws us back the keys and says, you Are going to do anything about it? I've given you the power. That's the call and a mandate upon the Christian. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, push back darkness, cleanse lepers. He breaks the devil's powers broken off of the believer. There is none. Well, he's doing some stuff to me. Well, stand up. Stand up, Christian. No more excuses like the man at the pool. Stand up. Take your rightful place. You are a child of God. We just uh, went and prayed. Hank and I went and prayed to this lady's house and all this crazy stuff going on in the house and, you know, like, like, Weird stuff, man, you know, house getting struck by lightning, you know, people that come in and out of the house getting sick all the time, kids having freaky nightmares, whole crazy thing going on. And I said, well, what was in here before you moved in? She said a grow house. They were growing weed here. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I said, probably there's some mixture of witchcraft. That's drugs is witchcraft, so you know, in the Bible. It's pharmakia. It's the same word. So... And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I told him, I was like, look, you've got to take your rightful place. Is this your home? Yeah, then you're gonna take your rightful place. Like, oh pastor, if you just pray over our home, I know everything would be great. I know it. she wasn't like that, but I've had people and I'm like, look, you're gonna pray over your home. I'm gonna show you how to pray over your home. Your kids are gonna pray over your home. I'm gonna show your kids how to pray over your home. So we got a little like, oh, you got any oil, you got any oil? We're gonna, so we're gonna pray, we're gonna make a declaration. This is our home, you're gonna get some oil. She's running around, she's dabbing everything, and then all of a sudden they're getting into it. Oh, can we pray over this room too? I'm like, pray over the whole thing. You know, and getting them to take their rightful place. Take your rightful place. You don't need Kevin to come in here and whoop-de-doo the place. I can lead you. I can coach you. I can draw you into what is already yours. And I told Hank before we go there, I go, make sure you get permission from the husband to pray over his home because he technically is the authority of the home. And if he's not down with us, then we shouldn't go. His husband was like, because he was going to be out of town. He was like, yeah, come. But what was the point? The point was taking the rightful place. Death is not the end. It's just the beginning. People spend their entire lives ignoring God, denying God, running from God. There will be a day when you can no longer run from him. There will be a day when we can no longer deny him. There will be a day when we can no longer ignore him or run from him. And so the idea here in this time that we live in, Jesus, the cross and the resurrection is about mercy. And so we have this opportunity now to accept his mercy. He gives us this opportunity to accept, or we can answer for our pride in rejecting him because that's ultimately what we will do if we reject him. The Bible says, what will become of us if we, know, if we neglect so great a salvation? Wh- what chance do we have if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer, it's a rhetorical question. We don't have any chance. <laughs> that's the answer to that question. We don't have any chance, so what do, we, what do we do? We don't neglect the salvation. Here's Jesus on the cross. Jesus died between two thieves. We're going to glorify Jesus this morning. Jesus lowered himself in every way possible. The man was born in a barn, huh? King of glory, born in a barn. Not in silk, not in satin sheets, not in gold, not in glory. He came in a barn. Why? Because he came beneath you. The whole idea of the king of glory coming down was to get as low underneath mankind as he could in order to lift man up. That's the whole point. Hung out in the temple. You guys were here last few weeks. I showed you the courts of the temple. Jesus hung out in the outer court, the furthest court from the temple, because it was the place where people could go no further. There were people who were not qualified to go any further. And this is as far as they could go. And Jesus says, put me with the people who can go no further. That's where I want to be. He dies on a cross. How low can he get on a cross? Let's see, how can we lower him on a cross? Well, we're gonna crucify him, we're gonna beat him, we're gonna stripe him, we're gonna mock him, we're gonna pull his beard out, we're gonna spit on him, we're gonna put him up on a pole naked, he didn't have a loincloth on, he was totally naked, we're gonna expose him in every way, and oh yeah, if that's not low enough, let's put him right between two thieves. That's how low he came. He could go no lower. He got as low, he took on the guilt, The shame, the pain, the agony, the vulnerability of all of mankind. And he took our place to come beneath us so that when you come into him, he can lift you up. Aren't you glad? We sing hallelujah. Somebody needs to say hallelujah now or say, thank you, Jesus. Say something. Come on, that's good stuff. Luke 23, they were hanging in between two criminals. And one looks at him and goes, if you're the Christ, save yourself. He didn't understand his Bible. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He didn't come to save himself. He came to save you. He came to save me. He wasn't there to save himself. He was dying so that he could save us. But the other one looked at him and said, do you have no fear in God? Seeing you are now under the same condemnation, we are justly condemned for what we have done. Everything that's happening to us, we did it. And there's a few other things that we did do that they didn't even know about. So whatever's happening to us, we more than deserve this. It says, but... Do you not even fear God seeing you under this condemnation? You're at the very hour of your death. You're at the very moment when you will die. That's grace right there. Most people don't know the hour of their death. Do you know that? Most people don't see it coming. Everybody that dies today don't think they're going to die today. <laughs> you don't go, well, I'm going to die around 503 this afternoon. You don't, you, you don't know that. This man is right at the moment of his death, and the Messiah is right beside him, and he's getting grace right here, and he's despising the Lord even at the moment of his death. He says, we've received our reward we justly, this one has done nothing. And then he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What's the difference? You have one mocking and you have the other one receiving. And what's the guy receiving? He's realizing who's who's beside him. He's realizing probably because he was a Jew, he had been raised understanding and hearing about a Messiah. And he's like, this is the Messiah. This is the king from another world. This is the God of heaven I've heard about all my life. Lord, remember me. In other words, I got no shot at this at all. But can I coattail with you? Can, can I, can I kind of, you know, can you imagine? The Bible says that when Jesus, when Jesus was in the grave, he descended into the heart of the earth. He who ascended first descended. And what did he do? He did two things. He proclaimed the gospel to those who had rejected him. I'm the one. Hey, just want you guys to know, I'm the one that you rejected. Then he would go and he preached liberty to the captives, those who had already died. They had yet to ascend into heaven. They were held in a different place because heaven was an open, Christ opened heaven and made the way. They were held in a place called paradise. So Jesus goes into this place and he begins to go, you are the ones that I had faith, that had faith in me. I'm the one, I'm the one you've been believing. And I'm here, we're gonna go, we're going home now. And then everybody be like, yeah! And then they go, but but who's that dude, right? So Jesus is standing there with a with the thief on the cross and the thief's just kind of like going, Jesus has given the message and he's probably standing behind Jesus going. (laughs) They're like, Lord, this is an awesome message, but who's that guy again? Where'd he come from? He coattailed, man. He came in. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Assuredly, you will be with me today in paradise. What does salvation look like? What does mercy look like? It looks like this. It looks like a confession. We believe in our heart and say with our mouth, it was Lord. What did he say? Lord, you are the one above me. I humble myself beneath you. I'm not above you. You're above me. And I come beneath you. He acknowledged it with his mouth. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He understood who Jesus was. Even if it was generally, he didn't get it all. But he had a picture of it. The second thing about about mercy and grace and forgiveness is it's immediately, it's immediate. It's not tomorrow. It's not wax next week. It's today. Jesus said, well, tomorrow you'll be with me in paradise. He said, no, today. I tell you today. Mercy is gonna to come to you. I tell you today, grace is gonna to come to you. What's the third thing? Is it's a guarantee? Salvation is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? It's guaranteed, huh? He, you can't, he's gonna give it to you. You can't lose it. We talk about, all oh, you know, all these other things. I'm so glad I can't lose it. You say, oh, I don't know about that, Kevin. I don't know, people have taught that. Listen, if your heart is truly born again, you cannot lose your salvation. Well, I'm an Armenianist, and I know that people, te- people teach this, but it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It isn't. If you're born again in your heart, you come from one world into another. You become born again as a child. And if you're, if you're, when, you're not, when you're away from the Lord, your heart is grieving. If you're away from the Lord, and you've maybe said a prayer, and you go your way, and you don't have any problem with the way you're living, you're probably not saved. That's why the Bible says examine yourself to see if you're actually saved. Because do you grieve over your sin? Do you grieve over the pain? of do you, do, is, there, is there a hunger and a longing for Jesus? Well, then there's something different about you. Circumcised, cut away, the flesh is gone. That's a whole other story. I'm getting off the wrong track. But so what I want you to know is it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed, 100%. You can have it. It's yours. It's in a relationship with Jesus. So he said, you will be with me. Relationship. This is a relational God that we serve, a God who loves us and wants us near. He doesn't want to be a picture on the wall. He doesn't want to be a dream. He doesn't want to be just a place you go to once a week and then you forget about him for the next six days. That's not what he wants. He wants relationship. He wants intimacy. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants you to draw on him. He wants you to look to him. He wants to love you. He wants you to receive what he has. So mercy and grace its through a confession. It's immediate. It's guaranteed. It's a relationship. And we are granted an eternal place it's a continuation of this world that's what heaven is a continuation of this world you say i've had about enough of this world as i can take well it's a world that's perfect okay we can't even imagine a world that's perfect i I mean i've tried but i I can't quite get my mind around it but this is it's a perfect world you're guaranteed eternal life and you're guaranteed that so we're going to close right here this is what easter is all about easter it's about the resurrection, and it's about the opportunity for mankind to receive mercy. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I hear somebody saying, man, I was born in a Christian home, man. I, I don't know about this. Somebody said this, standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being born in a Christian home does not make you saved. It just doesn't. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So we're going to close right here. And the church is going to pray with us. And if you've never asked Christ into your heart, or if you want to be sure, you go. I think I've done this, but I'm not sure. Well, be sure today. Be sure today. And all you got to do is open your heart, open your heart, and pray with you, And pray the words that I'm praying. Right? It's not. It's the position of the heart. It's not anything more than that. It's as simple as it could be. It couldn't make it any easier. So let's pray together. The church, pray with me. Just say, "Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I believe." You have risen from the dead, and you have done this for me. And I don't understand it, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. You say, is that it? No, that's the start of it. It's the start of a new life with Jesus. If you prayed and you confessed Christ and you have questions, I'll be available. Uh, I just want to bless you one more time, to so just receive his blessing. We're going to have a little party outside. I'm not sure what's going on. You probably have to check with them out there how that all is working. But um, let me bless you one more time. Just receive his blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.